the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As true believers go through trials, we don't abandon the Lord. We don't say, I'm out of here. I, I thought that the Christian life was just going to be wonderful and without trials. And Now, you may be up and down. You may be struggling. But a true believer doesn't abandon the faith. He doesn't walk away from the Lord and say, this is not what I bargained for. Many churches and evangelists paint a rosy picture of the great life you'll have if you give your heart to Jesus. And then reality hits. No wonder some of us are depressed. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff concludes his series of messages about the battle against depression. Pastor Steve is the pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our study is based on Psalms 42 and 43. The author of these psalms had apparently been kidnapped and was far from his home in Jerusalem and the job he loved of leading worship in the temple. One reason beyond that for his depression was that he was being falsely accused by his captors. Let's listen as Pastor Steve gives another reason for this man's depression. Secondly, these false accusations were coming from those, he tells us, who captured him, which he now identifies as men from an ungodly nation. And we don't know what nation, but these were pagan men from some foreign Gentile country, and these men were hostile towards Israel and the God of Israel. That we know. Now, specifically, what they were saying about the psalmist, we're not told, but it apparently was an attack upon his faith in the God of Israel. And I say that because if you look back at Psalm 42 and you look at verses 3 and 10, he tells us this. He's, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? It's basically the same thing as said in verse 10. So you'll see that, that these men had taunted the psalmist about his God, essentially calling the Lord weak and ineffective and unable to rescue him. So it only makes sense that they would also attack him personally for believing in such an impotent God perhaps mocking his intelligence, maybe calling him a fool or gullible or naive or a simpleton or something like that. But whatever the nature of their attack was, it was false and it bothered him and it contributed very definitely to him being depressed. I think that every true Christian can relate to this, at least to some degree, because every believer knows how it feels to be verbally attacked and slandered for their faith in Christ Unbelievers take great delight in attacking us for believing in Jesus. They persecute us, not only physically, it's moving more to to that arena in our culture, but they persecute us in our culture by insulting our intelligence for believing such a simple message as the gospel. And they accuse us of being narrow-minded people, of being hypocrites, of being people who are just intolerant of anything that society deems to be moral and acceptable. 
we're looked upon as just oddballs, out of step with our culture. I mentioned the word simpletons, who believe anything and everything that the Bible says without questioning it, without thinking for ourselves. That's how we are looked upon by many in the world. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Why? Because our Lord said, He said that this would happen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his followers that they should expect this kind of treatment from unbelievers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our Lord said that we should expect this, so it shouldn't shock us. And again, before his arrest, Jesus warned his disciples of the kind of treatment that they could expect from the world. In John chapter 15, starting at verse 18, the Lord said, if the world hates you, and the thought here is not if the world hates you, but since the world does hate you. So let me read it that way. Since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. We don't have time to go into all of this, but just just to say that Jesus said, don't be surprised by this. You're not like you used to be. You're not like you were when, when you lived in the world and you loved the world and the world now turns against you because you're basically a rebuke to the world. You've rejected the world and its standards. So they're coming after you because they can't really come after me anymore. But even though we know that persecution is part of the Christian life, listen, let's be honest, it, it still hurts when it comes. And as one Christian leader put it, he said, it is an unusual person who will not be occasionally depressed by malicious and hurtful treatment. That's exactly how the psalmist is feeling. He's come under attack for his faith, and it it only added to his already gloomy mood, and so he's asking the Lord to vindicate him, to just intervene in the situation and, and clear his name. But even as he prays like this, he's frustrated, and he's confused because, listen closely, up to this point, God has not intervened. The Lord has just let all these terrible things happen to him, including these verbal attacks upon his faith from these evil men. And in verse 2, he honestly tells the Lord exactly how he's feeling. We've got to commend this man for being so transparent and honest. He says in verse 2, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Folks, this is the cry of one who just doesn't understand what God is doing in his life. And he's disturbed by it. He he acknowledges that the Lord is his strength. The Lord is his refuge, which means that the Lord is the one he looks to, to to defend him. But up to this point, he doesn't see it happening. He doesn't see God defending him at all. In God's apparent silence... And inactivity in his life, it just leaves him feelings that the Lord has forsaken him and rejected him. And he just can't understand why he has to continue mourning while his enemies oppress him. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but if you have, then you understand 
how depressing it can be to believe something about the Lord, something that his word tells you about him, that he's strong in this case, and he's powerful. That's what the Bible teaches, that God is sovereign over everything. And yet, while you know that, to feel as if God, though he's sovereign and powerful, is just not demonstrating that in your life. You don't see it happening. He's not working in your life as far as you can tell because he has not demonstrated his strength and his power by delivering you from your trying circumstance, and that can be very baffling. But when we think this way, and who hasn't at times, we're just not thinking clearly, because we are basing our thoughts, as this man was, on his emotions, on our emotions, and not on what Scripture says. See, Scripture very clearly teaches us that God sends trials into our lives. That life is not always a bowl of cherries. He sends trials into our lives. Scripture very clearly says that. And these trials are sent by God in order to test our faith by affirming and assuring us that we have really been converted. We are true believers. One of the ways you know this is by the trial of your faith because you're still trusting God at the end. And he also sends these trials into our lives for the purpose of refining us, purifying us, Another way to put this is to say he's helping us to grow in grace, helping us to become more and more like Christ. Listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6. To those who were suffering, being persecuted by the government of Rome, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that... The proof of your faith, that's why the trial came, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, your faith is being tested as if it were by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning when you and I, as true believers, go through trials, we don't abandon the Lord. We don't say, I'm out of here. I I thought that the Christian life was just going to be wonderful and without trials. And Now, you may be up and down. You may be struggling. But a true believer doesn't abandon the faith. He doesn't walk away from the Lord and say, this is not what I bargained for when I called upon Christ to save me. This isn't what I came here for. I'm gone. James 1, verses 2 and 3 say, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it joy. Why, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces that steadfastness, that endurance. Now, concerning these trials that Peter and James are talking about, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said these very encouraging words. Listen to what the doctor said. He said, let us then be clear about this. We must start by understanding that we may very well find ourselves in a position in which our faith is going to be tried. Storms and trials are allowed by God. If we are living the Christian life or trying to live the Christian life on the assumption that it means just come to Christ and you'll never have any more worry in the whole of your life, we are harboring a terrible fallacy. In fact, it is a delusion and is not true. God permits storms. He permits difficulties. He permits the wind to blow and the billows to roll and everything may seem to be going wrong and we ourselves to be in jeopardy. So what are we supposed to do when we go through one of these trials of faith where we just don't understand what God is doing in our lives and it feels like he's silent, it feels like he's not interested in us? Then what? I'll tell you then what. We trust him. That's when we trust him. And we apply 
our faith to our situation and we believe that what we know from God's word to be true about him, that he loves us, that he's promised never to leave or to forsake us, even if you feel like he has. He said that he wouldn't, that he is sovereign, that he is good, that he is loving, that he is wise, and that he's working all things together for our good. And our good means he's making us more like Jesus Christ in terms of our character. Listen, your only hope when you're depressed is refuse. You've got to refuse to listen to your thoughts of doubt and unbelief that tell you that God has rejected you, that he doesn't care about you anymore, that he's left you to the mercy of your enemies, those accusers who slander you and charge you with all kinds of evil, that he's not going to do anything about it. You have to refuse those lies. They are lies. They're not truths. This is precisely what the psalmist is about to do. This is where he's at in his thinking. This is his problem. He's been leaning too much on how he feels. He's letting his thoughts of unbelief, his doubts about God, control him, and it's depressing him. But then, but then something happens to this man. It seems like all of a sudden he just stops And he comes to his senses and he realizes that what he needs to do is something very, very significant to come out of this depression. And so he begins to give us once again the remedy, the cure, the solution to being downcast. It's a little bit different than what we've seen before, but it's in the same ballpark. Verses 3 and 4. It's still a prayer. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the the lyre, which means a harp, I shall praise you, O God, my God. Having just told the Lord how blue he's feeling and what his thoughts are, which are obviously based on wrong and erroneous thinking, he now asked the Lord to send him light and truth which he says will lead him back to his holy hill, meaning Jerusalem, and to God's dwelling places, the temple. Now, what what is the psalmist praying for? What, What exactly do these words mean? Listen closely. He's asking the Lord to break through the darkness of his own thinking, break through the darkness of his own thinking by bringing the truth of his word to bear upon his situation. In other words, he wants God's word. God's truth, to guide his thinking, to illuminate his mind, to enlighten him so that he once again returns to the, to the truth that he already knows about God. What truth? That God is his strength. God is his refuge. God is his defense. You see, what this man is saying is that he needs to start thinking biblically, and that means affirming what he already knows to be true about God. And practically speaking, that means trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord that he's great enough and powerful enough to to rescue him and to lead him back to Jerusalem, God's holy hill, back to the altar in the temple, back to the place where he'll once again praise God by picking up his harp and singing to the Lord. See, this man has come to see that the way out of depression is to stop listening to his feelings and to start listening to God's truth, so that he'll trust God to be all that God's word says he is. That's why he closes the psalm with the very same words he's been saying all along, 
because this is the way out of depression. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This is the third time, as I've said, that our psalmist has said these same words. And the reason, folks, that he keeps coming back to them is because he knows there's only one way to battle through depression. It's by getting tough on himself, by refusing to listen to all of his woes and continuing to just tell himself the one truth that he needs to hear and keep hearing, that his only hope is to trust God. That's his only hope. Because God is as great as his word says he is. Therefore, he can trust the Lord to rescue him and to restore him to his ministry of leading others in the city of Jerusalem to praise God. Now, if you're depressed, then you have to do exactly what this man did and what he's teaching us to do. Stop listening to your negative thoughts, to your doubts about God, and start telling yourself the truth about him, and then you must apply those truths to your situation. Refuse to listen to yourself. What's going on in your head? And I understand this is a battle, but listen, let me encourage you. It's a battle you can win. Because this is what scripture says. This is what God teaches us is the way out of depression. And he will always give you his grace, his strength, his power, his enabling to do what's right, to do what his word says. So take heart. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, as your Lord, then depression may very well be just a way of life for you. Or just a way of life for you, because this is a sin-darkened world that we live in, and it's only going to get darker. But listen, just as the psalmist here found light and truth in the one place that you can find it, the only place, the Word of God, you can find it there too, in the Bible. The Bible tells us how to come out of the darkness of our sins and ignorance about God, and it's by coming to Jesus Christ, the person, Jesus Christ, who, who is the light of the world, he said. He came into this world in order to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into his own kingdom of light. And how did he do this? He did this by paying the penalty of sin. That was the, that's what the cross is about. In his death on the cross, Jesus experienced God's wrath and judgment in the place of sinners like us, like you. And because of that, if you will come to him, admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you have sinned against him, that he's holy, you've sinned against him, you want to turn from your sin of being the the most important person in your life, of being self-centered and self-promoting, you turn from that as best you can and you trust Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for your salvation. The Bible says he will forgive you of all of your sins. He'll make you fit for heaven. And not only forgive you, he will give you his righteousness, his own righteousness, so that you can stand before God faultless. So I urge you, if you've never trusted Christ today, May this be the day of your salvation. And because Christ died for sinners, which is the very foundation, folks, of of our faith, the Lord told us never to forget his atoning death, never to forget his death on the cross. And the way he said to make sure that we don't forget this is that we are to observe the Lord, what he called the Lord's Supper. 
of the Lord's table, sometimes called communion. We are to do this until he returns. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Those of you who have been a part of Lakeside know that we do this once a month. We're always to remember the Lord. But as a body of believers, we do this once a month. And before our men pass out the elements, I want to just read some scripture to you and remind you of a few things concerning the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, the Apostle Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Means that what Paul is about to tell us, the Lord told him. So this is coming from the Lord Jesus to the Apostle Paul, who's telling us that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They were having the Passover meal. He took the bread and he he really was saying, I'm changing the Passover meal into something else. Instead of remembering how you were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, from now on, you are to remember how you were delivered from the bondage of your own sin. It's the Lord's Supper. Verse 25. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he gave his body, but in dying for us, he shed his blood, which means he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's what this is about, the new covenant in his blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then there's a warning. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, we're all unworthy of him, but in an unworthy manner means that we're holding on to some sin. We're not repenting. Perhaps it's a grudge against someone, a lack of forgiveness, a bad attitude. Perhaps it's even deeper than that. But If you are not confessing your sin, you're a believer, then you take the Lord's Supper, you'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So this is a time for self-examination. Don't be morbid about this. Don't go deeper than you need to. There's always something we can find in our lives. But ask the Lord to show you, is there anything in your life that needs to get straightened out? Repenting asking him to forgive you, perhaps after you have to go to somebody and ask them to forgive you, some attitude, some activity you've been involved in, whatever it is, this is the time to examine our lives. Now, if you don't know Christ, then you are a welcome guest to observe. This is not, uh, this is, the Lord's Supper is not for you. Just watch us, and we are proclaiming to you the meaning of Christ's death until he comes back. So let's take just a minute or two now to be silent before him, and then our men will begin to pass out the elements. Lord, we ask you to search us to see there be something wicked in our lives. It's so easy for us to be self-deceived, so easy for us to find fault with others, but not see our own faults and sins. So Pray that the Spirit of God, as he searches our hearts, will bring to our minds things that that need to be resolved between you, perhaps uh, with others, between us and you, and maybe with others as well. We 
Pray as we partake of, the, of your supper, Lord, that we'll do it with the right heart attitude, the right spirit of submission to you. We thank you that your word is so precious and leads us into the truth. And, and we pray, Lord, having just taught from Psalm 43, I pray that you'll lead those who are struggling with depression out of depression and might apply their faith to life and not have it be simply theoretical but living and real and practical and purposeful. So now, Lord, we pray that you help us to honor you in every way as we partake of these elements. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our time is nearly gone, so I'll be brief. Thank you for joining us for Verse by Verse and the final lesson in this series on depression. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For your free CD with this last message on depression, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 and ask for message 5199, The Battle Against Depression, Part 3. Or you can get the whole series on three CDs. That's 727-441-1714. This six-part broadcast series is also available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. For Pastor Steve, this is Jerry Peterson inviting you to join us next time on Verse by Verse for a new study in God's Word, one verse at a time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.